Well, good morning, all. Welcome to the Common Good Podcast. Doug Padgett here. Uh, uh, coming to you on a Monday. It's a very special Monday because we get to talk to Genesis B, uh, poet, author, painter, peace activist, the poet laureate of Vote Common Good. I'll have you all know. Hey, uh, that's so, right. Uh, very exciting days around here. Hey, hey, Genesis B. Good to see you. Hey, Doug. Thank you for having me and opening up your platform to let me speak about my book. I appreciate you. Well, you are sure welcome. We're going to be talking here in a minute about uh, people, not things, and this this fantastic subtitle. Uh, I mean, I, you know, subtitles sometimes just drive by without anybody even noticing them, but this one pulls in and sits in your driveway. Uh, Love poems and paintings for humanity. Just, just great. Okay. So we're gonna we, we will be spending some time talking about that because we're not kidding around. Like you are a poet, you are an author, you are a painter. All that shows up in this book. Uh, and, and you're a peace activist, which I'm sure is what you want to come from this. But let's first yeah. start, as we often do on this podcast, how's the weather uh, where you are? Reminding each other that, you know, we might disagree about a lot, but we do live under the same blue sky. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I'm in Atlanta right now. It's been like dipping into the cold now, you know, um, rainy the last few days. But mm -hmm. today's pretty nice. I went out and walked my puppy with no jacket on, just a sweatshirt, so... We're still good. Living the dream. Uh, okay. It's going to be 60 degrees today and tomorrow in Minneapolis, where I live. Can you believe it? Okay. I mean, this is, is that the kind of thing. That I don't have a reference for that. Oh, yeah. No, it, it could be 30 um, in Ooh. two and a half months. It could be negative 10. <laughs> Truly. So, I mean, we're just like, uh, there, there are, there are uh, last year, I think there was a 110 degree swing difference in the temperature from the coldest day to the warmest day. It was like a hundred, uh, in the summer and it was uh, 10 below in the yeah. 110 degrees. I would uh, say I feel bad for that type of weather for you, but <clears throat> it's a decision that you live there. So that's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah. I made a decision a long time ago and now I keep living with it. Yeah. It's really, okay. really tough. All right, all right. So Genesis B, uh, let's talk about what you're up to. My experiences with you have only been a fraction and they've all been marvelous. Uh, we have traveled the country, uh, many a time since 2018 together. Um, mm. And you have been saying the phrase people, not things uh, since, you know, at least 2018. When I, when I first heard that, maybe you were saying it before. Uh, yeah. Talk a bit about that. And, and because that's not only this name of this particular book and this piece of poetry and, and, and art book, but it's a philosophy that you, uh, that, that you are into and that you are trying to help people understand and to join you in. Absolutely. Uh, the phrase people, not things came to me after I did my viral protests against um, Confederate Heritage Month in Mississippi and uh, was launched into the fight to change the Mississippi state flag. But before all of that, when my protests went viral, I got a lot of backlash. And when I say viral, international, like the New Zealand Times, Billboard, New York Times, everything was posting about my protests because it was very um, controversial. And it was divisive also. I had a lot of backlash and I had a lot of support, but the main thing that happened was it was divisive and I'd never wanted to be divisive. Like I don't regret the um, protest because you know the state flag has changed now thanks to my collaborators before me and during, but I wanted to unify. I never wanted to divide people and so I was you know, going through a lot after it blew up, I was scared because it, I was on this national platform. I was like a recluse in my apartment in New York at the time, like drinking a lot. I was just asking the source, like, what do you want me to say? Like, I have this platform. It, I don't know what to say. And something told me to pick up a paintbrush and paint. And Doug, I've never painted one thing in my life. Is that right? You had you what? hadn't painted before before all that. Mm mm. And the first thing I started painting were barriers and it's become my signature style. You actually see it on, in the, on the book cover behind me. That's my, my barrier paintings. And they're in every single painting, you know, like these paintings behind me, whether the background, you know, this, this black is the barriers. Um, Cause I didn't know the barriers between the self, myself and the people who were harassing me online. I was like, what is this? Like, they're calling me racist things, homophobic things, you know, misogynistic things. I was like, yeah. oh, the, the, the barrier is the internet, first of all. <laughs> you know, they don't know me, I don't know them. And then the barriers are these preconceived notions that we have 
based in fear, control, lack of communication, lack of self-love. And it wasn't until I started painting those barriers and that phrase kept coming, people not things. And it's not my phrase, it's our phrase. It's an ancient truth that we are all complex human beings worthy of dignity. First mm -hmm. principle, it's ancient, right? It's just yeah, a reminder. Right. So right. I've been saying it ever since I put it on my clothes. Yeah. I have a traveling art exhibit called People Not Things. I have a poetry book called People Not Things now. Um, so in a nutshell, it was gifted to me hmm. by forces I don't know what they are. Um, but I'm supposed to say it to the world until I die. When, and when, just, people, when people hear that phrase or see it in uh, an art exhibition, which I know you've done around the world and in LA and New York and places where, you know, people see a lot of things. Yeah. Um, how do people respond when they, when they hear the phrase people, not things? What's, what's, what do you pick up from them? The first thing people think is it is an anti-capitalistic phrase. Um, and my whole thing is like, if that's what it rings true for you and you hear it, you know, I have no control over the phrase because it's not my phrase. But what I mean by it is it is a lens through which to look at capitalism. It is a lens through which to look at democracy and any form of government, any form of societal patterns or structures, the, it's a lens. And that lens says, we are all complex human beings worthy of dignity first and foremost. Now, where we go from there, if you truly believe that, you're not gonna be exploiting people, right? Mm -hmm. You're not gonna be othering people because they're a different religion as you, right? You're not going to dehumanize people in order to capture their resources, right? This is a lens through which to look through humanity. You know, so it's not like anti-capitalistic in nature, like that's mm -hmm. not my my purpose. Um, but if that's what you get from it, then again, I do not control the phrase. And, that and, and that's insightful. We, I know we've talked about this, having driven, you know, in, a, in buses around, around the country and talked to many different people. The, the propensity to turn a human being into a thing or an idea or a problem to be solved, mm -hmm. that feels almost universal, right? Like every, so many societies have done it around the world right now. You see many different ways for people to be organized, but there can be this consistent sense that some people are not considered to be fully people by those that are in power. Um, I, in fact, I'd yeah. go so far as to say that's just true everywhere uh, that I know of. Um, wh what do you, wh why do you think that is? I mean, you're a philosopher at heart. You're also, you know, you're a poet. You think deeply about these things. Do you have any sense about what it is about human consciousness that also causes us to like turn people into a, an inanimate object, object that you're supposed to treats less than it's, you know it's useful utility hmm. if i want to enslave another human i'm going to need the public's consent to do so if i want to mass incarcerate black and brown people i need your consent as as a citizen in order to manufacture consent i need to give you a reason why these people are deserving of enslavement mm -hmm. deserving of ethnic cleansing deserving of imprisonment it's all utilization. So in order for us as the public not to give our consent, we need to free our minds. We need to think for ourselves and think critically when propaganda comes to us, when media comes to us saying, this is why we as a government are doing this. We need to think. So people not things, the philosophy calls for an individual accountability to free your mind and break free of those barriers of fear, control, lack of communication and barrier to self-love. If you break down those barriers within yourself and someone comes to you and says, this is why we're gonna do this to these people, you're gonna say, hold on. No, 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 I don't agree with that. Right. Right, right. you're gonna be able to take a step back and not join into the echo chamber. You're gonna take a step back and do your own research hmm. because you are a free-minded, autonomous thinking person.
So this is what People Not Things is about, is your individual accountability to not just go along with the masses, right? Yeah, you still yeah. have a mind and we have access to the internet and so much information and misinformation. And if your soul is not solid and aligned, you're not going to be able to tell what's misinformation and information because you are just, uh, you're grasping at the opportunity to uh, be right. Hmm. To have your confirmation bias, you have, we have, we have to backtrack a little bit because yeah. we're too far gone into this. Yeah, it's an important part of being a human, right? Just to daily and, and subconsciously even check to make sure you're doing all right, and there th that can be very positive, right? People do check-ins, they do body scans. I don't know, they find ways to see how they're doing. They look in a mirror, but there can also be that same pressure around confirmation bias, right? Let me make sure my beliefs are still mm -hmm. good and right. And we don't even notice the little micro ways that we organize our, ourselves into making sure everything we are up to is okay, right? Because the first thing I've learned about human beings is most of us think we're doing the right thing. Uh, even if we have to argue with somebody about it, even if we argue with ourselves, we, we judge, we, we find a way to rationalize that. Yeah. Find a way. So yeah, there's really something. Go on. Were, were you going to say something? No, I was just agreeing with you and saying that's real. Yeah. I, I also this this came to mind when you were when you were describing this. I, I have some friends that um, were in the military, and now are retired from the military, and they talk about how one of the first things they do in military training in the United States is to make soldiers not think about the enemy as people. Like, Utilization, they, othering like, is a, language and everything. Yeah. yeah, it's not, I don't think it's ever done without a purpose of intention when you're othering mm -hmm. something. And usually when we grow up othering someone, it's because our society, our community, our family, our churches, our, you know, synagogues or mosques or, you know, our government yeah. teaches us to other somebody. Yeah. Nobody just comes out the womb being like that human is not as human as I am. That's right? right. Yeah. And, and it's funny, isn't it? We, we even have a way of doing it. I, I have another friend who's an educator um, and the, like trains uh, teachers and stuff. And w one of the things that she says is when she speaks to, to people and says, so, um, so what do you teach? And the person starts to talk about the subject matter. She says, no, that's not really what I'm asking. And then, this, and then the person will start to describe the age. Oh, oh, sixth graders. I teach sixth graders. She says, no, that's not really what I'm asking. You teach people. First mm. and foremost, they're not students. <laughs> they're not, uh, you know, they're human beings. They're, they're people. And there's a way that we just subtly kind of, you know, even as kids, we have a hard time sometimes thinking about our parents as people. It becomes one of the realizations of growing up, right? When you're like, are you kidding me? I, now I realize what my mom or dad were, were experiencing because they didn't know what they were doing. They were just people. They weren't parents, right? And we, we kind of have to grow into this thing. And it gets stifled for all kinds of reasons. Yeah. I, think, I think it's natural, right, for us to compartmentalize people because we're different, hmm. right? But if you're looking, it depends on which lens you're looking at it. When I go to a different place or culture, hear about a different people, even if they're strange to me, like everything's strange, like I don't understand what's going on here. I look at it as a chance to celebrate our differences, not exploit them, a chance to learn and be curious about what their cultures and beliefs are, not to impose my own or think that mine are the right way, right? I think it all depends on the lens through which you look at the differences yeah. and the way that we compartmentalize people. Yeah, re really smart. And Genesis, I, I know like you do have that that countenance and I've watched you do it in so many situations, friendly situations and and very, you know, um, aggressively hostile situations that we've been in where people are yelling at us and so on. And you, you have done it, you know, in just magnificent, ways. And you also don't just approach the world like, 
Hakuna Matata, everybody's doing their thing. Don't worry about it. Least amount of friction. Like you are daily uh, moving in the world and making poetry to try to encourage people to see the world in a better way. You're very invitational in wanting to have impact. How do, do you see what I'm getting at? Like, how do you balance, how do you as a person live in a space of like non judgment and acceptance? and wanting to invite people into a new way of being because for some people they feel like they have to pick one or the other you know they uh, mm. how, how do you do it there's a quote i forget who says it your viewers will know or you might know the sign of an educated mind or an open mind is someone who can entertain an idea without accepting it mm. you've heard this before yeah, I have. Yeah. Been a while, though. Yeah. Very famous person said it. Philosopher mm -hmm. or scientist. Um, I was raised with, with, I was raised Muslim. Both of my parents converted before I was born. But they would also have us read, along with the Quran, the Torah, Judaism, and the gospel, Jesus' teachings. And I think this fortified something in me there my parents were like making sure we understand the the similarities of all these religions because the same prophets are in those books right mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um but especially islam like growing up muslim was such a beautiful experience because it taught me that balance of like i am a child of god mm -hmm. i have immense power to change things around me but also the humility and humbleness to know that I am a, a peon in the universe. Mm -hmm. And in the big scheme of things, you know, might have to question how, how impactful that little change is, right? Yep, yep. So that balance of humility and confidence in my ability was something that I learned through Islam. Mm. And also Islam is also a very compassionate, religion and it teaches us that any justice anywhere is an injustice to us and we should stand up for those who are having trouble standing and speak for those who are having trouble speaking like this is what islam teaches um and so i also follow sufism which is the mystical form of islam that's very based in love instead of calling the one god we it's the beloved and we, you are my beloved, Doug. Mm -hmm. You know, the ant is my beloved. Like these, all these sentient creatures, like we, we come from a space of love. So when I see a, a child being bombarded by bombs, I feel the pain of that child, the pain of his family. Mm -hmm. You know, when I see Doug stub his toe, I'm like, dang, I hope Doug, Doug's okay. Yeah, you need some ice. Yeah. You know, like, compassion and it's i don't like to use the word empath because it's overused like oh i'm an empath i'm an empath i'm a human mm. and i'm part of a human community nice nice and i live on on the earth and part of this ecosystem so i have to be cognizant of that too right. like right. just just being self-aware that you know we have immense power what we say can destroy worlds or it can create them mm -hmm. it, no matter what uh background you're tapping into the kind of Islam that you were raised in, you're touching in, in Christianity and the Gospels and in teachings of Judaism. Being a queer black woman doesn't always sit well in those situations. Um, there's, not, there's not a one that's like, oh, you know what we're fundamentally about and always have been? Um, yeah. <laughs> queerness, blackness, and femininity. That's just, um, right. They're, they're, they're not about that. So you've also had to navigate that and you've navigated sure. a complex world and your own self-understanding of what all that means, uh, having a, a mom who presents white and a dad who presents, you know, our culture, black or African, and mix of religions and your own queerness as a, as a, uh, that you see and, and I do as a, as an attribute, not as a, not as a negative to overcome. So all of that feels like it's part of this for you when you talk about people not things like there's a complexity for some people when they hear people not things or notions like that it's like let's just boil everything down to its simplicity 
you feel mm. like you're like, oh no, let's make sure we understand the absolute complexity of all this. And that's a better way to, to understand what it means to be human, that it's a more complex way than yeah. a thing. A thing is simple. People are complicated. Is, is, there, is there anything in there? Do you want to talk about the experience of queer black woman life and how that's impacted sure. I think the first principle of people, not things philosophy is that we are all complex human beings worthy of dignity. And that is a very important part of it, right? Of We as a human race need to expand and we have been expanding. We've had so much innovation in technology and industry. We've gone through several types of revolutions because we are expanding. You know, the reason for that expansion can be, of course, you know, argued. But I think it's time for us to expand on the human part of it, not just the industrial and like the, the capitalism part and the money part, but because we are behind. We're like ahead in the technological revolution and almost like we're declining in our humanity evolution. Wow. We need to to you know, we don't even teach media literacy in our schools. Like that should be the primary thing our kids are learning as we have are inundated with all types of media and social media. We don't even have a frame, like Noam Chomsky says, access to information means nothing without a framework of understanding. We haven't developed the framework. So when I say we aren't seeing the complexities and we're narrowing each other into boxes, this is a symptom that we are operating from a very low vibration and a low threshold of the human mind. And we are more capable of this. We are capable yeah. of much more. Yeah. And I'm calling on my fellow humans to, to raise your vibration, raise your critical thinking and all of these things. Like don't just be force fed what to think about people. Like take your time and think. Yeah. Uh, well, you, you have, you have certainly done that. And you know, we've had a nice little dive into, philosophy class here, which I've adored. Uh, <laughs> you also needed to put that into poems and into, <laughs> and into paintings, right? Like it can't just stay in, or you choose to not just leave it in these spaces. Right. So let's talk about the book for a bit. Um, sure. before we, before we started the, uh, the live stream here, you, you were saying that there's four particular barriers that you've noticed and you've structured the, the book around that. Um, yeah. and, and, and I just want to comment that I have watched you try to figure out where the barrier, like you want to see the barriers in order to work around them. Some people uh, are just more concerned about the barriers, you know, what, whatever they are. And, and that's fine. I just know of you that, that your concern about understanding the barrier is to do something else in response to the barrier than, than the typical response to it. Yeah. Um, so do you want to talk about that in the, in the structure of the, the book and maybe even say a little bit about who, I mean, who, who lets you as a publisher create a book that's part poetry and part art book. Like nobody does this. Uh, right. Uh, I'm sure this is Andrews a tough pitch. Yeah. Andrews McNeil Publishing, shout out to them and shout out to our vote common good brother, Tim Gilman, who actually helped me compile the first uh, transcript before I even sent it out to try to get my book deal. He helped me do that. So shout out to Tim Gilman. Oh, right on. Right on. Family. You know, I came to him with this idea. He said, I'm going to, I'll help you, you know, and, yeah. and it resulted in, in a deal with Andrews McMill Publishing and they've been just great. Just, just great. So. And by the way, the book comes out tomorrow for people who yeah. are looking for books. Books are released on Tuesdays. It's our little public service announcement every time we have an author on about a book. Uh, Fridays are when movies come out, um, you know, random days of the week are when Vote Common Good podcasts come out, but books are released on Tuesdays. Uh, that's just how it goes. That's how they keep track of sales numbers. So you can start ordering it now. People not things. All right, but let's talk a bit about what's, what's in it and how you structured it and why it's poetry and art or poetry and painting. I'm just an artist. I've been an artist since I was a, a child. I, I, you know, I haven't started, I only started painting in 2016 after the protest, but I started poetry uh, as soon as I could write. My parents taught us how to write and read really young. 
Um, and I've been writing poetry ever since and converting those poems into rap songs. And, you know, most people throughout my career know me as a rapper, you know, because I've converted my poetry into, you know, hard hitting beats that say something. Um, <clears throat> the barriers are barrier of fear, barrier of control, barrier to communication, barrier to self-love, hmm. right? And I think speaking of control, a lot of times when we have these philosophies that we develop, even though I'm just pulling from all these different philosophies that I've learned throughout my life, whether it's Stoicism, Taoism, you know, learnings of Bonhoeffer, like they're, they're all over the place, right? Yeah. Um, we try to impose them on people, right? No, that's not what it's about for me. These are my own personal barriers that I had to overcome so that I can go to my friend Lewis, who's a neo-Confederate, and say, hey, let's sit down and have a conversation about the state flag. Let's humanize this issue. You and I sit face to face. I'm curious why you think the way you think. What were you taught? Because we're all just the sums of our ideologies, right? So I had to break down these barriers within myself in order to do that, Doug. I had to transform myself. I have a set of practices, af affirmations, journal entries, and meditations that I do to break down these barriers for myself every day so that I step into the world an open human. And, and, and I just want to punctuate this, this piece of it, Genesis uh, B, because when you talk about being friends with Lewis, uh, who, you've, who you developed a relationship with, this was somebody in Mississippi advocating for keeping and extending the Mississippi state flag that was a conf that had Confederate symbol as the flag. And people who are calling for ideologies that would harm you and people like you and, and many others. So when you are saying you're going to approach someone with dignity with an understanding to try to know, that is, that is your response to danger. And, and again, I won't tell all the stories, but I have watched you in front of Proud Boys and uh, other, other people whose, whose goals are to, to do harm in this country for you to say, look, I recognize the harm that could come here and I'm going to engage with this philosophy of mutuality, human dignity, and respect. Some people, and I only bring this up because some people think like, hey, we can use dignity and human, uh, you know, human engagement but not when there's risk on the line. People's lives are in danger. Then we need to use something else. We're, we're going to pull the sword. We're not going to pull for, you know, understanding and dignity. Can you just say a little bit about that? Because I think that I, I just want, I think there's a benefit you give to people. And I really want people to be able to access a little portion of that. But how serious it, it, the, these issues are for you. Mm -hmm. um, uh, like you, you've had your life threatened um, multiple times. And sure. you still choose this this approach? Um, I have no fear of any human because I know who I am. I know where I come from. My grandfather, Reverend Clyde Briggs, gave his life, dedicated his life, risked his life to the empowerment of his community in Mississippi to help them get the right to vote in the 60s, to help them um, have the right to walk with their head high as humans and not as third-class citizens, which was the case. So I know where I come from. My father and my mother made sure we knew our background. When you know where you come from, you, you do walk with the strength knowing that that's in your spirit, in your DNA. Uh, also in Islam, it teaches us that an injustice anywhere is an injustice to us. And sometimes it takes putting yourself in danger in order to stand up for people. And I was standing up for my community in Mississippi when I said, let's have these conversations because these other ways aren't working. So let's get down to the common good, the common interests that we both have and see if we could build upon that. Like, okay, do you want, you know, healthcare for your elders? Do you want, you know, Mississippi's the poorest state. I'm poor, he's poor, you're poor, we're all poor. Okay, so is that a common interest we can build upon so that we can try to rise up economically together, right? That's what Martin Luther King started preaching on before he was killed, right? So I just don't have any fear of death. I'm willing to die for my convictions. 
I've been like this since I was a child. I always felt this. I don't know if I was dad brainwashed me or whatever, but I just feel I've seen children dying. I had to watch about the Holocaust in World War II as a child so that my parents could teach us that these are what humans are capable of doing to each other. This is what the evil that humans are capable of. And I said, well, who's going to go save those kids? I was a kid being like, I wish I could go save those kids. And this happened in the 1940s. Mm-hmm. So this is the, so now when I'm, now I'm big, <laughs> I'm an adult and I have some agency. And if I see it happening, I'm going to speak out against it. I'm going to fight for it, fight, you know, fight against oppression when I see it. But ultimately, I'm willing to die for my convictions. I'm not willing to kill for them, though. You get what I mean? Like I that do. there's there's a line in the sand for me when it comes to death in life. You know, I've done a lot in my young life. I could die tomorrow and be like, dang, I did that. Seriously. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, me talking to Lewis, you know, or me stick, you know, going up to the Proud Boys or, or whatnot, like that, yeah, that'll say more about them and their cause if they harm me. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. And, and also say you're not foolish or anything like you're not intentionally, you're not a risk taker for just risk taking purposes. Like you are willing to cross the boundary of fear. So, so fear is one of the boundaries. What was the next one? Control. Is that right? Yeah. And this, this is not just in the social justice sense. This is in our relationship sense. You know, Mm -hmm. we, we have, we are in a society where like, we're taught control, whether a man needs to control a woman or a woman needs to control her man or, you know, non-hetero tropes. It's like, nah, that's how you push people away. The more you try to control, it's an energy thing. People pull away, you know, and knowing that I don't own any human being. I don't own my girlfriend. You know, she could do what she wants, say what she wants. You know, I, she's not an extension of me. Like we are two autonomous people. Like when I talk about control, like the need to, con- when we talk about social justice or government or society, like the need to control a certain narrative the of what the people are seeing is very big in our, in most societies, right? Mm-hmm. You need to be able to manufacture consent from the public in order to push certain policies through, get certain politicians elected. Yeah. 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 We're not as free as we think in this society. I feel very privileged to be an American and be born in America. Trust me, I think I more and more I think about that privilege. Yeah. Of you know, but we're not all the way free. Yeah. The you, illusion you, of freedom is far more dangerous than jail cells and cramped cages. And we have an illusion of freedom here. If people are watching the video and they saw me smile when you started that that's uh, <laughs> one of the lines from one of the epic poems, spoken word pieces that Genesis B has done many times in front of many, many people. And it's, it's, it's near on perfect in the sense that every word and phrase uh, carries, carries great meaning that's available uh, on the internet. Um, uh, Mississippi is a microcosm uh, poem. Uh, it's more than a poem. I don't know. It's a piece. It's a, it's a how, how do you refer to it? Do you, do you call it a poem by the way? I yeah, mean, it's four minutes long or something. I mean, it's just more than a. It's it's a. It's yeah. It's a combination of things. It's really it's really quite quite in, incredible, uh, and very yeah. true. Or earlier, there was a little passing comment, and and I stepped on it a bit, so I want to come back to it. You, you had said something about development of the soul to be able to do this work, and and I just want to give you another chance to maybe talk about that around this issue of control, the barrier of control, like what. What development do you work on and do you think is beneficial for others to work on as they're trying to overcome barriers of control? Um, Because there's a lot of that. Like we just want people to behave and do certain things. And, and, you know, some of, some of that can be really helpful. You know, Uh, there's times where you really do want someone's help and instruction on what you do or where you go or how you, how you develop a skill can be very positive. Uh, to live inside of a system that has boundaries to it and limits and opportunities and all that can work out great. Um, and not always. So uh, how, do, how do you develop a soul nature for you yeah. that, that overcomes that? So I have this document that's for free download and I'll put give you the link to put in the comments. It's called The Philosophy. 
and practice of people, not things. It's free. It's not this book. This is the poetry. Read the poetry first. It'll give you a framework of understanding for the philosophy. But in this document, there are practices such as affirmations, journal entries, journal questions around control, fear, communication, self-love, and meditations that I've practiced in order to break down these barriers within myself so that I can show up in a specific way in the world, right? Mm -hmm. So I can share that with you and, and right. you can share beautiful. with your audience. Yeah, yeah, beautiful. Yeah, we'll do it. Okay, so, so there was a uh, barrier of fear, barrier of control, and then uh, the barrier to communication, and then was it barrier to self-love? Self okay. Yeah. Talk about this barrier to communication. What, what, what are you getting at there? The internet, <laughs> the not being able to speak and have discourse. I don't think that's something that we're really taught in school. So however our family unit discusses things, that's how we go out into the world to discuss things. So you've been in relationships before, new relationships, and you all have a lack of communication. Like they're hearing something or that you're not quite saying or they're interpreting something or ver vice versa. You know, I think that we as a society in America, we do a lot of our discourse online and not a lot of discourse in person with people. Like that's uncomfortable for us to actually sit down with our family members and like, hey, I saw you posted this, like, where are you coming from with that? Like, I'm, I'm yeah. curious. We don't know how to approach things that we disagree with, with childlike curiosity. We don't know how to do that. We get defensive, we get triggered, we get traumatized. And I'm not saying that's wrong. It's just an observation that I've seen because sometimes when you come at it from that angle, there's a barrier hmm. that we can both be talking, but it's bouncing off of this barrier. It's not getting through to our hearts and our minds. You know, so there are certain practices that I do to learn how to actually listen to people and not always just be imposing mm. my ideas, my mm. philosophy. Like, well, what's your philosophy? Your philosophy, every philosophy that I hear, thoughts that I hear, as an artist, I'm constantly absorbing mm. thoughts and ideas, entertaining thoughts without accepting them, yeah. entertaining yeah. You know, and it's a beautiful way to live. And I just want to share this with people because life is brighter this way. Love is deeper this way. Family connections are bonded better this way. You know, like we don't have to be a hard, you're dumb because you think this way or, you know, you're brainwashed and it's just a lot. So that's a barrier to communication, I think, in our society. But I had to break that down for myself and learn how to speak and disagree with people also. I wasn't, you know raised like that hmm. what well, one of the big projects that we're endeavoring in here at Vocom good is not only to understand how we engage with each other but recognizing that so much of how we engage with one another is really how we're engaging with our own self hmm. that there the are part. yeah there are things <laughs> where the stuff we will say to ourselves or think about ourselves or condemn ourselves for having a thought or an idea or an inability is something that, I mean, almost no matter how harsh a person is externally, they wouldn't be that harsh <laughs> with others as, as we are with ourselves. Right. That, there's a, and that internal struggle is, I, I just am increasingly convinced it's the root of so much of our external struggles. There's just a, there's a lack of self. Do you want to say much about that? You hit it right on the head. In the philosophy, the downloadable philosophy I'll share with you, it says barrier to self-love is the most important mm -hmm. because without breaking down how you feel about yourself, how you speak to yourself, your inner dialogue, how you truly feel about yourself based on what society, family, church has taught you to think about yourself, if you can't separate from that, those other three barriers are going to be hard within you. Mm -hmm. Right. So you hit it right on the head of like how we speak to ourselves in our inner dialogue. And you'll see in the in the journal questions and the affirmations, a lot of it has to do with questioning your own thoughts towards yourself. Right. Because if yeah. you can come to a place and I don't mean self-love in the woo woo, like you said, blah, you know, 
fluffy way, I mean, truly, can you forgive yourself? Can you walk through embarrassing moments that you've done in your life and give yourself grace and be like, dang, that was cringy, but you know, I was young, I'm better now. I've learned from that, you know? Can you really take the time and, and break down that or do you just suppress the resentment that you have for yourself or re relive certain traumas and say, well, that was my fault. You know, like this is really deep stuff, deep work that we have to really do. And if we want to show up because that radiates out into the world, mm -hmm. right? How you speak to yourself will radiate, radiate to your children or radiate to your community. But if you come from a place of self-love and grace and for forgiveness and understanding and compassion for yourself, that too radiates. It's a beautiful thing. Yeah. There's a great line in a, a song that I know that, that, that goes, don't confront me with my failures. I have not forgotten them. Mm. And it's just a great little notion, right? Like, oh, you can, rem you, you can tell me I'm uh, anything you want, and I'm just going to say, you're late to the party. I'm already there. Right. Like, and if we don't, if we, if we somehow believe that our role in another person's life is to really help them see themselves, like if it's in a confrontational way or, 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 a you know, you're a problem way, most people are way ahead of us, uh, in that confrontation. What a lot of us have trouble seeing is the beauty and the goodness and the glory that we see in others, in ourselves. I mean, that's the, that's the deepest, that's one of the deep, deep struggles. And I think that's something that kind of comes with age. Yeah. I, I don't know. Like mm -hmm. over time, I think we just begin to realize, realize all that. Um, yeah. We are walking miracles. We're searching for a God. There's God in you. You are a God. And I don't mean that in a blasphemous way for all of our people of faith. I don't mean that we, you are a God. We are of we are of the universe. We are a miracle walking. The fact that we're alive and I'm sitting here talking to you today yeah, is a miracle that I am grateful for beyond belief. And we have to live our life like that. Our life is short. If you go your whole life in the fog and not understanding this precious gift of being able to even suffer in this life, like you're missing out. Like it's not too late. Like start now. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Well, Genesis B, I'm glad that you've uh, taken some of your precious moments, not only to talk with us and do anything with Volcom Good, we always love that, um, but also that you would take the time to um, make this poetry and, and make poetry available. I mean, th look, I'm, I'm an author. I've written lots of books and stuff. And there's one thing, the kinds of books I write, you know, which are kind of nonfiction books about things. They're great. And you, people should buy all of them. Go to Amazon and please just buy, buy all, buy all 10. Um, you can get them at a 10 pack. Uh, uh, they're, they're great. Poetry for a lot of people is on another level of vulnerability though. It's it, 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 poetry is not something that, that a lot of people treat the way they do nonfiction as an author. It's <laughs> Yeah. You want to talk about that at all? About I didn't realize process? that until I wrote this book and was like asking people who I'm kind of writing about different experience, family or lovers, like asking them, is, is it okay if I include this very vulnerable thing? And they're like, no. Nah. <laughs> Even though it is, it's not directly about them, right? It's, yeah. you know, like poetry and art is, is strange. I think a lot of people don't quite understand about, uh, thank you, Alex, about this isn't literal, but it's birthed out of experience. And then we take those experience like a, a little dust and we mm -hmm. build upon it. We build worlds upon it. We build imagination. We build mm. opportunity. We build possibility off of just one in human interaction. This is how an artist's brain works. Mm. You know, so yeah. if I'm there's a whole poem in there where I am a homeless man speaking mm from a homeless person, a man specifically, not a homeless woman, not a woman with a home, right? Mm -hmm. It's like art is, it's so powerful. And I think people can't draw the literalness out of it. Like, so I had some people who were like, yeah, I don't want you to include that. You know, even what I'm saying is such a bigger commentary on humanity 
than our interaction, right? Um, so I thought that was really interesting. I did it mm -hmm. in the first time uh, publishing like a poetry books or my paintings like that. So yeah, yeah, it's yeah. it's um, it's very intimate. Uh, be, partly because poetry wants to take the least, uh, wants to just use a different form than your typical sentence structure that we all know how to how to deal with, right? There's a there's a thing to the structure of poetry that is causing the reader or the hearer to do more work than mm. you typically do when you're uh, re reading standard standard sentences, right? For for the most part, like it it's just calling on the reader to participate more. Um, like it's harder to be a bystander to poetry and music than it is to, to other things, right? You can sort of read, read words and be like, oh, I agree or I disagree. Poetry yeah. tends to implicate. It's like, what's this? Yeah. Hey, what, what's that got to do with you? Like it's all of a sudden it's all, it's all up in your business, you know? And uh, it's, it, but it also means that the poet is, is seen differently, you know? Like there's a reason that like, I don't know, on this little moniker down here about you know, the stuff you do, which is not you. So I want to be careful on that. Um, that's a difference between poet and author, right? Like I would never say I'm a published poet. I'd say I'm a published author. It's technically true uh, and, and just actually true, but I'm not a poet, right? And so we make some distinction in our world about poets and authors. Um, mm. And I think it's helpful and I'm not just trying to be binary about it, but I think it's actually, there's, there's a different thing there um, do you now, f do you feel like a poet in a different way now that you're holding a piece of poetry, uh, a poetry book of your own yeah. in your hand? No, I've always been a poet since I was five, five years old. Uh -huh. I've been writing poetry, sharing it with my family and my classmates. I think the first, actually the first poem I ever shared was, I was in the third grade. I still remember the poem. It goes, um, to die down low in state of mind, the power of seeing, not being blind. May teacher teach you, may you learn. If you teach them, is it your teacher's concern? Lay, go stray of the path, you will feel the wrath. While I am a sinner, lay tip on my lips. It's too late, we're in state of apocalypse. That was like the first poem I ever wrote as a like little as a, kid. As an eight-year-old. Maybe seven. Seven. <laughs> yeah, my teacher thought I plagiarized it. So I've always been a poet and always trying to make sense of the world in my own way. You know, I only became a strong speaker. I was very shy as a child. I didn't really speak much. You know, I just followed my brothers around in school. I didn't speak a lot. I learned how to speak through poetry and music mm -hmm. and performing and learn how to articulate myself eloquently and became obsessed with words at a very young age, semantics, words, the relation to words and emotion, right? I could finally express myself, what I was going on in my little mm -hmm. mind. I couldn't talk about these things, apocalypse and government and what I'm seeing with little children suffering. I couldn't speak to my peers about that as a seven-year-old. I had to put it in poetry form. So I had to learn the, the person you see now who uses my words so carefully and confidently and purposefully is because I started as a, a baby poet. <laughs> mm. yeah, 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 yeah. Totally. I mean, that's what I'm getting at with poets. Like they just do different things with words. I, I know there's a lot of styles of poetry. So there's some that are, you know, flow of, of subconsciousness. I get, I get that, but yeah. for the most part, it's uh, it's really wonderful. Yeah, thank um, you. Well, thanks. So I just want to remind people, the book is called People Not Things, Love, Poems, and Paintings for Humanity. Um, and uh, is officially out tomorrow. I bet if you ordered it on the places where you order books or if you go to the kind of places that carry poetry books, um, or if you, if you live near a bookstore, if you still somehow can be in a time portal to go to a place where you could walk into a store where they sell books, uh, Ask them to order uh, people, not things uh, for you. Thank it you. really helps, by the way. A lot of people don't know how, you know, things work. Like, I don't understand how cheese is made. I'm, I've seen videos, but still blows my mind. Um, so I don't understand most things in the world. And if you don't understand how books 
end up in places versus not being in places, buyers have to make a decision and bookstore buyers have to make decisions. So if you go into a bookstore and say to them, hey, this is a book I'm looking for. Would you consider ordering it for me? That puts the book in that bookseller's uh, mind and they might order three copies and leave them on a table and they get them out. So if this book is meaningful for you and you like bookstores um, or you live near one, even if you're going to, I don't know, even if you're going to order it online or whatever, just stop by a bookstore and ask them to, you know, if they, if they have it, if they'd, they'd bring one in for you. It's just yeah. a good thing. It, it helps spread the, spread the word. Yes. What? Thank you so much again, Doug. Like um, I reached out to you about the book. It was just right away. You were like, yeah, let's talk about it. So I appreciate your enthusiasm and always wanting to support me. Of course. Of course. Any, any other ways that people can follow you? Anything uh, that you'd tell them to, to um, do or look for, or is there a best way for you, for people like around here, we say, follow us on YouTube. If you're not already doing our YouTube stuff. You know, I see. Somewhere um, so on Instagram, favorite spot. On Instagram, I'm at Genesis B, all one word, um, and peoplenotthings.com. Yeah, come to peoplenotthings.com. You know, you can purchase um, my paintings, originals or prints. You can purchase clothing, people not things. Um, you can just purchase the book. Yeah, peoplenotthings.com. Soon dietary supplements. You can pick up some dietary <laughs> supplements. Uh, <laughs> We needed those for the road. Listen, y'all, being on tour is on. There's nothing to eat. You go to Flying J Hot Dogs. Is we had a vegan on the bus. I felt so bad for him. Yeah, we we really should put together a uh, like a a whole order it online for when you're going to travel the country and try to save democracy uh, kit. Um, which Genesis B, uh, we're planning to do again, of course, in 2024. So uh, we'll see you on the road, my friend. Uh, <laughs> We, we will be uh, together, hopefully, in many, uh, many places. All right. Uh, hey, thanks for all. Uh, by the way, I don't know if you've seen people in the chat, but Alex uh, has been saying um, many things here. Peggy is is a pretty um, consistent mm -hmm. commenter here. Kimberly uh, has, has been with us. Dodie is with us. Um, hey, Dodie. Thank you all for tuning in. Bunch of others just right here in the live stream and then uh, others that are watching all this uh, in the in the future that they get to live in. Um, that, that we will all maybe make it to. All right. Hey, love you, friend. Thanks for, uh, thanks for all this goodness. I love you and I love everybody watching and everyone who will watch. Um, love yourself. Bye. Peace.